0: <clears throat> Hello, everybody. My name is Luke Thomas. This is, the promotional mal- uh, Jesus. this is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat, episode, I think, 127. The day is Wednesday, February 25th. We are almost in March. Can you believe that? Today on the docket, we're going to have, let's see, Ronda Rousey discussion, Rousey versus Zingano. We will have, um, obviously, a fair amount of talk about Josh Neer. I just put an article about it. Um, that, of course, like everything I do, seems to be polarizing. Um Not intentionally, but whatever. Uh, So there's that as well. Uh, There's Invicta this weekend, there's Bellator this weekend, so very, very busy weekend. As you can see, we are back to (laughs) the broom closet, but I actually don't mind it because it's kind of solitary, the light doesn't mess with it. The light's not great in here, but it's not, it's all right. Uh, A couple of notes, if you will, uh, note all the comments that I'll be looking at mostly. Will be either be on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas, but predominantly on MMAfighting.com. There's of course a post dedicated to that as well. Uh, If you would be so kind, whenever you're watching this, whether it's live right now or at some point down the line, please share it. Uh, Give it a share on SoundCloud, on on Twitter, on Facebook, on Pinterest, on Google Plus, whatever it is that you use. Any form of sharing and helping to spread the word on. Uh, mixedmartialarts.com, on Reddit, whatever you guys can do. Of course, that's um, dog.net. That's greatly appreciated. And, of course, you may email me, if you so choose, at luke.thomas.sbnation.com. Again, I'm going to keep saying this until people listen, though. I, I appreciate all your emails, uh, and I, I'm going to get back to some this week, but a lot of you guys are sending me emails that are like these super long, detailed questions. Guys, in the course of my day, I do not have time to answer those. Um, I need things that are, like, tips of information or short questions or basic inquiries, anything that's super long and detailed, it's a high likelihood I'm not going to be able to, chance to get to it. But neither here nor there. Let's kick off the chat. We should have, as you can see, let me hold it up. We got a good microphone today. Camera's looking pretty good. Uh, I got some gross <laughs> diet soda, which I'm going to crack open, and we shall begin. All right. First question up on the show. All right, Brendan Schaub hinted on the Joe Rogan podcast that he could make 205 pounds and may go to light heavyweight. Do you agree with him doing that? And if so, who would you choose for him to fight first at light heavyweight? PS. Why, not, why do you not like John Wick? The movie was awesome. Um, well, first of all, they killed a dog in John Wick, and I just can't stand seeing violence against animals, in particular dogs um whether or not that makes sense i don't present it to you that it does i'm just telling you how i feel um but john wick sucked because it's not a it's not a good movie it's a vehicle for gratuitous violence Now, like gratuitous violence was awesome but it's not a movie there's no story there it's just a it's just a bare bones apparati, apparatus i guess just so you can plug in you know things that would you know get people like me to cheer, but it's not, as a movie, there's, there's, it's an empty suit, the emperor has no clothes. Uh, okay, but back to Brendan Schaub, uh, I'm not saying don't see it, I mean, for folks who don't know why I'm mentioning John Wick or why this person's asking about it, John Wick is a bad movie, but the action scenes are great, and if you haven't seen John Wick, you could I think, watch it for like five bucks on YouTube, or, you know, on demand or whatever, the MMA, or I should say the fight scenes, Oftentimes in MMA or movies where they use MMA in their fight scenes, it's like real hokey, like someone is doing something that just you, even an MMA wouldn't work. In um, this one, it's not that way at all. Like they're using some judo throws or some submissions they use, but they they make it work in a much more realistic way. So it's actually kind of cool how they use MMA. So I'll give, in that sense, it's really cool. Uh, but, you know, there's no movie there. You're just watching people get killed. Uh, as for Brendan Schaub, I mean, look, here's the question. So, look, I wouldn't, if he's trying to explore all of his career options, I think on that level, that's okay. Um, I've seen Brendan Schaub in person. He's a big guy, you know, so I think he'd be a really big light heavyweight if he can make it. Um, the question is, what was, what would he be adding? What would he be subtracting? Uh, he has, you know, he's a he's a big size heavyweight, but not a huge heavyweight. So part of his advantages at heavyweight are that he can he doesn't get muscled around, but he has a little bit of speed. Um, I think historically some of his benefits against some of the guys he's able to defeat, he was shown to have more explosive uh, movement. I think some of that's waned just with age. So the question is, what does he bring into light heavyweight that would change? Would he really pick up speed? Would he really have a dynamic advantage there? Maybe. I mean, maybe losing all that weight would really add that to him. Would he be able to retain his strength? I wonder that as well. And then the other question is, uh, and that's really important, because as you climb the ranks in light heavyweight, you can say that the division's weak, but it's filled with a lot of wrestlers. You know, there's your Bader up there. There's your Davis up there. There's your Cormier up there. Um, Gustafson is not a wrestler, but I think we can all say that Gustafson is a pretty polished striker could sit behind a jab, Anthony Johnson's out there as well too so, you know, I I would have some questions about what is realistically possible with a move up I wouldn't discount it, but whenever you see something like this just ask yourself, what would he realistically be gaining, and what would he realistically be giving up um, again, why did Fedor, who is basically a middleweight, compete at heavyweight? Well, because he had a tremendous speed advantage. Um, he did get muscled around, I think, more than people remember, but the mobility that he enjoyed at that weight uh, really enabled him to have, a, in his prime, just really dynamic movement. Um, and he also had big power, you know? So, so yeah, so that's what the advantage was. Um, I don't think that Schaub is experiencing something quite... I don't think he's a light heavyweight just competing up, He's now a true heavyweight trying to get down a weight class. You know, we'll see how that goes. I, I wonder about the speed, though. I mean, that's something that, not saying he's, lived like, crazy faster than all the other heavyweights, but it's something that's sort of, kind of, a little bit, a little bit um, in his back pocket. And against, again, not against the upper tier, but against some of the guys he's able to defeat. He showed a relative kind of advantage, athletic advantage. I don't know that that would translate against guys uh, he could or couldn't beat um, down a weight class. All right, Sunday night fights. Do you think, given the rating success of the UFC's last two Sunday night fights on Fox Sports One, McGregor versus Seaver and Bigfoot versus Mir, there was one before that? It was Hendo versus Shogun too. Um, there is any chance the UFC will look to make Sundays for Fox Sports One fight nights a more permanent fixture? I realized the great ratings for McGregor versus Seaver probably had much more to do with McGregor himself rather than the fight being on a Sunday. But I was surprised and just just how well Bigfoot Mirror had done uh, given it was a card that did not contain a lot of big names outside of the main event yeah I mean look I think they're going to do Sundays to the extent that it makes sense one um, I, don't, I don't think it's their preference I do think that for one their broadcast partners even if the ratings might be higher on Sunday they're going to want to have marquee content on Saturday night it's going to be important for them and you know look at some nights they're going to have baseball and maybe some nights they're going to have college football or whatever the case may be and rather than going to Fox Sports 2, it makes sense to move to Sundays on Fox Sports 1. Um, but there's going to be all kinds of conflicts, particularly when football season comes around. And maybe Europeans don't quite respect it, but the NFL is God here. Going against that is just a very bad idea. Right. So that won't work for that portion of the calendar. Uh, again, Fox is going to want to have that Saturday night slot filled. And, and, much of what UFC does is an attempt to fulfill their contract requirements about what they owe their broadcast partners. So there's that as well. But I do think to your point, now you have three events on Sunday night that all did well in the ratings. You have the two you mentioned and of course, the Shogun Hendo 2 rematch. Look, I think to the extent possible, they're going to try and maybe explore a little bit on Sunday nights. Also, it makes sense about, it has to make sense in terms of the local place where they're having these fights. Um, Brazil can be tough for the Wednesday fight, for example, city, um, because of soccer. So they may want to do, you know, either Saturday or Sunday nights there. But You get the idea. So there's all those factors that have to play in. Uh, Does it make sense for the actual city that they're in? Does it make sense for their broadcast partners? Um, Does it make sense for the rest of the sporting ecosystem that's out there in terms of competition? But if you can solve all of those problems and you want to experiment a little bit, I think to your point, it's been shown there's a little bit extra volume maybe of viewers either on or at least willing to give UFC a shot on a Sunday night Um, there's no doubt about it and of course you know they've been smart about who they've used I mean Mir versus Bigfoot isn't necessarily the uh most marquee names they can use but Mir's been a long time guy in the UFC he's got some brand visibility there and folks are at least willing to give him a shot um previously they've used uh as you mentioned McGregor and then before that Hendo and Shogun so They've definitely used some names that have been valuable to them. It'd be a little more interesting to see what a, um, I don't know, a Swanson versus Stevens would have done, right? All right. Uh, if Jake Ellenberger loses at 184, it will be four losses in a row. Do you think the UFC will cut him or keep him to prevent him from going to Bellator? will Bellator be interested in him? Bellator might be interested in him. He's a little bit different than, I think we talked previously about the Phil Davis case. I think Ellenberger against the right opponent is certainly an action fighter. So he has that going for him. Um, The one thing that I would want to know is they may not cut him because, I don't know. I just feel like the rules about who they cut now have been dramatically shifted. You know, before it was like three and you're out no matter what. And now I don't feel like it's that way. Now it's like four, can we manage five if you take time off kind of thing. Uh, But Jake Ellenberger has been one of these guys, and I know a lot of fighters say it, but he has been really kind of very adamant about it in a way that's a little more particular and a little more regular and a little more um, vocal, namely. If he's not really in this to compete for a title, it's not clear what business he has here. That's not me putting that on him. That's him repeating that back. I'm, I am simply articulating what he has said on a number of occasions, both to me and to many other uh, reporters who have done interviews with him. Um, now, what that means in terms of how he defines whether he's competing for a title or not, well, it's, to your question, hard to tell. But one wonders after four in a row, if he might decide altogether that this is not really a place for me to, um, this is not an occupation I wish to continue in. I, I, I don't know, you know, I'm not saying that, oh, if he loses four in a row, he'll retire. I can't say that with any certainty. What I can say with certainty is he is one of the few guys who has been really, really vocal about um, not wanting to stick around if there wasn't a title picture in his future. And with four losses in a row, A title picture being in your future, and I believe he's in his 30s now. Let me just uh, make, before I just say that, let me just make sure. Big Ellenberger is 29, so not quite. So it's difficult now. We're living in a new world. Um, But just keep that in mind. That has been something he has said on a number of occasions. More than other fighters have said. That's really kind of stuck with me. He seemed to be very serious about that claim, so I don't know. I don't know what what UFC might do. This we have a new world about who UFC will cut on what circumstances and when, and um, we haven't quite figured it out yet. Guys like Mir and Bigfoot losing four in a row. I mean, these are things that were like antithetical to the UFC standard of excellence previously, but now that you have these competitors who can make do with, um, you know, guys who can't ordinarily hack it in UFC, uh, it changes the dynamic completely and we haven't quite mapped out what the rules are yet. All right, so let's get to it. Josh Neer, gym hero or aspiring criminal? So I wrote about this uh, and like I said, it seems like everything I do is polarizing for one reason or another. Let me make a quick note about like what the writing that I do. Um, I don't expect it to appeal to everybody Um, and I don't, I don't write what I write, first of all, I'm out of practice because I just don't write enough. It's my fault. I should write more. And so I always feel like I'm a little bit rusty. It's a little bit hard for me to articulate myself and then edit down. Um, so I think in a year's time, like my plan for 2015 is to really write a lot and then uh, get better because I, I certainly feel like I need to. But that aside, um, there's this claim that I'm always like writing to, to like, Pretend I'm doing something other than what I'm doing like. Oh, you're trying to sound this way or trying to something No, I am NOT. I like to write the way it is. I like to read Right, that's it. And I don't expect everyone to like it. I don't expect everyone to hate it Um, But just so it's clear if you don't like the way I write, it's fine If you love the way I write, I appreciate it. I've gotten some great comments, too So I just want to point out though that like whatever you think about it. I don't write for the audience. I write for myself, understanding that it has, still has to be palatable to the audience on some level, but let me just make that clear. I write f- I, I write to, to make a point, yes, but I don't write being like, well, I need to make sure I write at a standard that the majority of the audience is going to get. I'm never, ever going to do that. Uh, okay. As for Josh Neer, um, is he a gym hero or an aspiring criminal? So here is the interesting part about Josh Neer, and I made this point. It's called um, Understanding Josh Near or What It Means to Be a Violent Sportsman. I don't think he's either. Um, MMA is, uh, and I separate MMA from the professional competition. Um, there's a lot of different ways to understand this. First of all, like, what was this guy thinking? The guy who goes in there. Because this is a situation where there is a lot of, like, quote, unquote, victim blaming. But it's not really clear that there's a victim here. I mean, there is and there isn't, you know? Um, But the funny part to me about this whole thing was, like, a lot of people made the debate about whether or not there's a gym culture out there that does this, and they're right that there is. There absolutely is a gym culture that does it. Now, for example, the gym I'm at now, would we do something like that? No. As a matter of fact, we've had guys come in and try, and we just told them to please leave. Like, that's not what we're about. It's a gym that, you know, again, it doesn't produce a bunch of world-class MMA fighters, but that's the point. Like, there's lots of gyms that have MMA fighters that don't engage in this kind of thing. You know, it's just absolutely true. Um, there are a lot that are. And historically there are a lot that have been. And near came from one, militich where, you know, I know there was, a, it was funny to me, there was a lot of like discussion about, oh, Duke Rufus ran a gym that did this and uh, ran a gym that did that. Um, and no one really ever presented any evidence that what he did was materially different than anything that happened in Miletic in their heyday. Uh, seemed to me all very much birds of a feather flocking together. Um, so there is this culture of of using violence and like this jumping in borderline gang initiation to either put someone through a trial by fire to initiate them or to send a message to someone who is acting out of line or in this particular case um, to take an outsider and to teach them a lesson the violence is very much a, a, a teaching tool it is very much um, I mentioned it before, fighting fighting is the adjudication of dispute through physical means. That's that's what it is, right? On the street, when two guys are fighting, they have a dispute and they're going to settle it by physically trying to dominate the other guy. That, that's that's what that and hurt the other guy. That's what that is. Okay. So it's true that there's a part of this gym culture. It's not universal, but it exists, and I wouldn't call it rare. I wouldn't call it common, but I wouldn't call it rare either. Um, so that's part of it, right? Um, I think the other part is you know, and I mentioned this as well, like if you see a, a, a situation where people need help, right? <clears throat> Both immediate, let's say there's a burning building and you see kids. It, it, what what do, what do these situations ask of you? In that particular case, it would ask you of courage. Um, if you see some, you know, starving children in Haiti after the earthquake, it calls upon your compassion and your generosity and your humanity to want to help other people. Fighting does the exact opposite. Fighting, fighting calls upon you to uh, ignore their humanity. Fighting calls upon you to exact physical demolition. It calls upon you um, the willingness to cause pain and suffering to another person. Um, And it's funny to me that a lot of fans don't seem to quite understand that. And that mixed martial arts is a sport. Okay, I'll get to this in just a second. It is a sport, but fighting is something we do independent of it mixed martial arts is just fighting for sport this is not as much as we want to tell people this it's more of a difference in degree not so much kind i mean it is different because it's regulated and there are rules and so maybe in that sense it's a difference in kind in kind but it's also feels like a bit of a difference in degree this is my point mixed martial arts is like a contradiction in many ways we are trying to divorce ourselves from the roots from which it applies but uh, I, I don't really know how possible that is ultimately. And this is a frank conversation I think the community has to have with itself. Look, there are guys like Uriah Faber who would never harm a fly outside of competition, you know, um, and, and, and and you know, th- that's important to note. But there are a lot of guys who, you know, to be able to answer the call to violence is not an automatic thing. You cannot just take someone off the street and teach them how to do Muay Thai or Jiu-Jitsu or wrestle and then ultimately MMA and expect that to happen. I know we all have this delusion that like, oh, if called upon, I would protect this and I would fight that guy. maybe some of you would, many of you would not. Most people cannot answer the call to violence. They can't, you don't have the constitution for it. Um, And and the the truth is, unless you've really figured that out, unless you've gone through the process of trying to figure that out, you don't know the answer to it. Maybe you could, maybe some of you could. I bet you uh, many of you couldn't. You physically don't have it in you to ignore the humanity of another person in an attempt to cause physical pain and suffering to them. It's not an automatic thing. And if you think it is, you are completely wrong, okay? So who is Josh Neer? First of all, this to me was so crazy that like, if this guy had gone into Faber's gym and tried this, would the same thing have happened to him? I mean, maybe they would have sparred with him. I don't know if he was a big guy, but I'm just saying a guy who had a similar ideas about things. Would they have gone and sparred with him? Maybe, maybe they would have, you know, beat the hell out of him. But they probably would have done what Josh Neer did. Josh Neer, not I mean, Josh Neer destroyed this kid, okay, and then filmed it and then shared it. He wanted to. He he not only had I mean, there wasn't a scintilla of remorse. On top of that, he wanted to show it to people. This is something he was proud of. Look at what I did, right? Okay, somebody who makes those kinds of calculations. It, is you have to understand like who they are. This is somebody who can answer the call to violence like that, like that. There are not many people like that. There are not many people in MMA like that. Um, But the funny part about it all, and this is what you have to understand. He had an incident in 2009, Josh Neer did with uh, DUI. Okay, but short of that, he has no history of arrest that I'm aware of. This isn't a guy who is a menace to society at all. In fact, he didn't go seeking trouble. Trouble sought him. MMA occupies a weird space. It is at once the violence of that you see, the unrestrained violence between two people trying to desperately hurt each other without any kind of rules or understanding or setup, and it is then put into place and professional competition. It is sanitized. MMA professional competition is a sanitized version of violence that, that we enjoy. There's rules, it's been athletically elevated, it's, um, it's um, uh, you know partly regulated in some ways, you know. Um, but there is another level of violence that is part of the family that many of these guys embrace that uh, we don't get to see but totally exists. I mean, just understand, he says he has 88 amateur fights and he has 50 pro fights, okay? This is a guy who has caused tremendous pain and suffering to others, all under terms by which everyone was consenting adults and, and in probably in most cases, at least in 50 professional fights, regulated to some extent, right? This is not someone who deserves to be punished by the law in any circumstance whatsoever, but just understand mentally what that takes. The years and years and years of, of making that choice to do that to people and then being surrounded in a culture that reinforces it and washes over you over and, over and over and over and over again. It will warp your perspective about what justice and fairness and giving someone a lesson looks like. So to me, people are all saying, well, he should have known better. I, I Who could argue with that? Why were? Why did he have those extra elbows? Why did he seemingly? I know the coach says otherwise. Why did he soccer kick someone? These are. These seem to be totally over the line, to you and to me, to him. That seemed right in line with what's fair, and why wouldn't it be? From someone who has, t- someone who can make the call to violence that easily, that regularly, and for such a prolonged period of time, is of course going to have what many of his view is a sadistic view of justice. It's not sadistic to him. And like I said, this guy is, I mean, I don't know if he's a model citizen, but he is not a threat to society in any way. Guy pays his bills and stays, for the most part, out of trouble. He has a DUI. That's the same thing as John Jones. I have friends who have DUIs. So you have to understand. You can. You, it's a. You are at once Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And some folks only want to see one side of it. They don't want to see the other. Um, but unfortunately, that's the world we live in. There is an element to it. Is an undercurrent. Is a, it, the the call to violence does not come without a change in who you are, um, or at least a magnification of it over time. It, you cannot make the decision to hurt another person that many times without it affecting your reasoning about what is and is not fair. And again, that will happen for everybody, and not all fighters, I think, uh, necessarily feel that same way that Josh Neer did. I understand that too, there's a range of opinions on this. But like to me, it was like, yo, Josh Neer is called the dentist. And he didn't get that nickname because he, like, fights cavities. He got that nickname because old boy will knuckle up quickly, fairly, and, and not in parking lots, and, under, you know, the rules of someone else that he engaged with. He's not some ferocious wild animal that deserves to be caged. I'm not saying that. But he can answer the call to violence without a hesitation. There are not many people built that way. And so to me, it's like, well, he went to an MMA fighter's gym. What was he expecting? He didn't just go to an MMA fighter's gym. He went to Josh Neer's gym. Go watch the Josh Neer fight with Drew Fickett and listen to what Joe Rogan says about Josh Neer. I haven't seen that fight in years, and I still remember what he said. Like, Josh Neer is not a guy who's ever going to go away in a fight. You have to either knock him out or choke him out. That's it. Like, he just doesn't give up. I guess he got kimorra by Nick Diaz. Okay, that's Nick Diaz. But you know what I mean? Like, this is a guy who, unless you remove his consciousness, is a Terminator. So you didn't just go to an MMA fighter's gym. You went to Josh Neer's. You went to a guy who earned the name through fighting of the dentist. That is a colossal, colossal mistake. <laughs> Everyone's saying Luke. Uh, in fairness, his DUI was a felony hit and run and he was charged with the eluding police. Quite a bit different than Jones DUI. Okay. Uh, listen, I'm not saying he has a perfect record, but he doesn't have a record of fist fighting in public. He doesn't have a record of assault. He doesn't have a record of battery. He doesn't have a record of domestic violence. He doesn't have any of these things. Um, he's not a perfect citizen, but who is? So, but this idea that he's like, oh, he's like, dude, uh, we can't trust him to live in society. No, that's, you can't. You can't. Trouble went and sought him and he, and he responded. But I just want you to understand like what MMA is about. It is fighting for sport. It is restraint. It's the kind of violence that, that should exist. Um, because if you don't, you get other forms of it but understanding what the root motivation is and what it can also do to people. Like it, it, this idea that I can answer the call to violence. No, you cannot, not all of you. Some of you could, and very few of you can do it as easily as Josh Neer. And if you do it as long as Josh Neer has done it, I, be, I think it really changes your perspective about what is sadism and what is appropriate justice. Someone's calling the room. I'm gonna hang up on him. Let's imagine you bet 10 underdogs in a row and won $32 million. Well, I definitely didn't do that. Most important question, can we continue to get MMA analysts and live chats and MMA beat appearances? Or do you disappear to a mansion in Columbia and we never see you again? I suspect you'd never see me. <laughs> Why not name and shame? Hi Luke, recently it seems like a lot of fighters have come out and stated they have their uh, they have been either offered PEDs by other fighters or know of other fighters that are 100% on PEDs. Most recently, In a story that was on this site, Jake Ellenberger came out and said, I know for a fact I fought guys on PEDs. I've had guys tell me after the fight. I wouldn't say any names, but you can tell. Uh, Why do you think fighters are so hesitant to name names when it comes to PEDs? At the end of the day, these guys are potentially taking away opportunities from clean fighters by taking an easier route and cutting corners. What is the purpose in defending them? Why not name and shame? So For me, as media, I've told you this before, I can't do it without any evidence. It's simply not something I'm willing to do. Oh, have I heard rumors? A thousand times. About a thousand guys? Of course. But it's not something I can readily go forward and without any information. So that's one part. I think they feel a similar thing. I think that without direct, even if someone tells you that, you know, um, you still would want to see evidence. You would you would have to see a teammate. That might be the other problem, right? Maybe maybe he's saying I've had guys come out and tell me maybe he's that's code for. I've had guys I've trained with, I've seen it. Um, Do you really want to be a guy who is fairly or unfairly, and probably unfairly, viewed as a snitch? Do you really want to be that guy? There might be, there's a code of silence because people are trying to protect other people. Um, And also there's this culture of, well, no excuses, even if you lost to a guy on steroids, Um, You know, you don't say anything. And obviously they don't buy that all the way, but they buy it enough to where they want to mention it, but then, hey, I'm not going to mention any names. So I think partly it's a combination of things. They hear things and they want to repeat it. Maybe people have told them that, but they don't have any direct evidence. Maybe it's a teammate they're trying to protect. Maybe they just have a uh, perspective on the sport as being generally dirty and just, you know, are just sort of at ease or not at ease, but accept it for what it is. I think it's a lot of things. True or false? Mayweather versus Pacquiao will easily generate more revenue than what UFC did for all of 2014 combined. Bob Arum said his uh, said this fight could do 400 million in total. Um, I don't know if that's true, but I do want to say something. I had this guy on Twitter. This is funny, man. I had this guy on Twitter being like, um, you know. Listen, if you're an MMA fan and you don't care about Mayweather versus Pacquiao, there's nothing wrong with that. If you don't like boxing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, if you're not going to watch, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. If you hate these two idiots, that's fine. There's, there's really no answer. that There's nothing you can say about that that's wrong. But understand that's your, your personal expectations or likes are completely irrelevant to what's actually happened. I had this guy on Twitter being like, um, you know, it should have happened five years ago. He wrote non-event IMO, in my opinion. And I'm just thinking, like, that's the that's like that's literally what you would say on opposite day. I mean, it's just I mean, it's the most important fight in a generation, if not two. Um, it's and he goes, Well, it's just for money. I'm like, um, it's actually to settle who's the most important or uh, the best fighter of this generation. These are not things that were like up for debate. This is actually what this is. That it's also a moneymaker is true. Um, but anyway, just folks If you don't like this stuff, okay, I get it, but If you're trying to undermine either the economic or sporting impact of this, you are wasting your time. I highly recommend you not do that. Michael Johnson, I've been very impressed with Michael Johnson in the last few fights. I see improvement in him every fight and I don't think he has reached his ceiling, I agree. How good is Michael Johnson and where would you put him in the division? He needs to fight someone, the Barboza fight was instructive because it wasn't that, that he was just able to stick to a game plan and walk this guy down and uh, pretty close to dominate him, you know, Uh Bar-Rozan got off a few things here or there, but that was really Michael Johnson. There's a few things I think he needs to tighten up, but until we really see him fight the elite of the division, which I don't think, partly what's happening here is a function of surprise that he is, as you mentioned, improving in such a way that it's like forcing us to reevaluate his ceiling and forcing us to reevaluate his place in the division. So we kind of, have, kind of have not figured that out yet. That's why I like the Ben Henderson fight. He's available, he's available. Maybe Ben doesn't want it because it's a step down, quote-unquote, in a way. But um, I think it's really important to tell us exactly who Michael Johnson is and what his ceiling might be. But, you know, This is a guy who lost to Reza Modati, and I think that was just, I don't know what that performance was, if it was an off night, or um, he's gotten a lot better since then, or a combination of the two, because I don't think Reza Modati is that good. Um, I don't think he's that bad. I don't think he's that good. But, yeah, to your point... He is improving in such a way that he is forcing us to reevaluate things. Moreover, I mentioned like the ease of which he was able to walk this guy down. It reminded me, again, very, very different. Don't go crazy when I make the comparison. But it reminded me a little bit of, um, if you want to say Chris Web and Liotta Machida, you can do that. It also reminded me of Fedor Krokop in a way. Um, again, not the same level of skill or anything like that, but just in the sense that one guy was able to take away such a dynamic and critical component of the other guy's skill set by a continued application of a game plan. He never wavered from it, never backed off from it, believed in it. There was such confidence in the way he executed it. So I definitely feel like there's another level he could hit and I don't know how high it is, but I um, am willing to be convinced by his performances one way or the other. Frank Mir, what do you think of Frank's performance? How would you, also, how would you think he would match up against Arlovsky now? Um, Arlovsky's takedown defense is good, so he'd have to strike with him. On that level, I worry a little bit. Orlovsky's a bit of a streaky striker. Sometimes he has big power. Sometimes he, sometimes he just sort of like wanders through a fight and doesn't really land anything of note. Um, I don't know. That's a, I think it's a good fight to make because I'm not exactly sure what would happen with those two. Um, I thought Mir looked good. I liked the way he was pulling with the jab, and I mentioned this in the Monday Morning Analyst. He was getting Bigfoot to go like this, and then the minute Bigfoot parried, he. Uh, parried the jab then he came right back with the left hook and that's what knocked him down great finishing ability those elbows those same elbows Josh Muir was using on that guy so vicious vicious elbows um, it's a fight I could entertain it's a fight I could definitely entertain I mean both guys did well against Bigfoot um, Olavsky needs a fight at Muir they trained together in some capacity but I think Muir was not at Jackson's at his last camp so to me it's an issue of Mir won't be able to use his wrestling which is something he's invested in in the last few years because I think whatever else you think of Orlovsky's takedown defense is really good Um, and uh, not perfect but really good good enough probably to thwart Mir's takedowns Um, but I wonder how Mir would do exchanging in the pocket that to me is a bit of an x-factor because he didn't really do that with Bigfoot very much Bigfoot did a lot of like counter striking and waiting it wasn't, I mean, for the short fight that it was, he didn't offer a whole lot, so. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Trilogies. I was thinking about UFC trilogies the other day. It just so happened the ones I was thinking about, the fighter who won the second fight almost uh, almost most likely would win the third. So KJDS, JDS, Chuck Couture, Griffin, Ortiz. Uh, Sylvia and Orlovsky, GSP and Hughes. I was wondering if there's any particular reason that the winner of the second fight would also most likely go on to win the third fight, or is it just pure coincidence? I don't think it's pure coincidence. Um, The question is, uh, and it's the same with Chandler and Alvarez too, right? So in the first fight, it was Chandler surging and Alvarez sort of taking, uh, this is what I think, taking in um, a challenger he wasn't prepared for. By the second fight, Alvarez was able to make adjustments of who he knew Chandler to be. Now, in the third fight, they're both able to make adjustments, but the key is you get a much cleaner look in the second fight at who these two are than you do in the first. Provided that the, you know there's no injuries the guys carry in or you know a bad weight cut or something, assuming everything went normal for the most part, um, the second fight is a much better look at at who is what and who is where. If you go back and look at the Chuck um and randy fight randy used a lot of wrestling bouncing him off the cage by the way randy's cage takedowns are great yes sometimes he runs a guy into the fence tries to wrestle in there but a lot of what he does is run you into the fence to bounce you off and then pick you up and drop you passing guard moving to mount on couture on, on uh, liddell and so i think liddell was caught off guard he was caught surprised Um, There were ways in which that Couture had used footwork to cut certain angles to um, limit some of the punching power of Liddell, Um, and Liddell was able to move in angles and in motions that kept the right distance and kept the right punches he needed to score while also having his takedown defense short-up. So the second fight was a much clearer indication of where they were if both guys had um, uh, the right kind of preparation. Um, And so the third fight is usually an extension of that second fight. It's not coincidence at all. Punishments for Silva, Diaz, and Lombard. The UFC spoke at their press conference last week how they would like to see athletic commissions give harsher punishments for drug test failures and that they would support two and maybe even four-year bans. Do you think there's any chance the UFC would push for the Nevada Athletic Commission to invoke these longer suspensions for Anderson, Diaz, Lombard in order to send a message to the rest of the fighters. No, not yet. I think that they want to have a plan in place that they can shop at a later date and then start from that moment on. I think this this period between now and July is very much your open period, your um, whatever is currently in place. We'll just keep that as it is, and it will be a brand new day when that's ready. And until that's ready, I don't think they're really going to do that. So no, I don't. I don't. I don't suspect they're going to retroactively try and do these things about sending a message. Moreover, as someone points out here, giving a two-year ban to uh, Diaz, I think to me would be um, fairly insane. I completely agree. Uh, true or false? Brown gets a shot at Kane for the title. I'll say true. Zingano will fight for a decision. False. UFC 187 main card stays intact. I'm just gonna say true as a measure of you know knocking on wood. Um if it does, there won't be a better card in 2015. So if one if 187 stays intact, will there be a better? Probably not. False. Or there won't be a better card, so true. Jones never fights at heavyweight, false. Why never fights at light heavyweight? False. 187 does better pay-per-view numbers than 182. False. Without Edgar Faber, that fight night card would be the worst in UFC history. Probably true. Bellator will one day have a man versus woman fight. Come on, please be serious. There will be no dominant force at welterweight for the next four years. Uh, I don't know if four years is the case, but probably for a year or two at least. question one I've been talking about as well Uh, I was watching some older fights on fight pass and noticed Eddie Bravo had his own scorecard for the fight that's true much like boxing where has that gone seems like a decent idea since Joe or Goldie usually say we're talking and stuff can't really judge the fight accurately and if you watch Bellator Jimmy Smith always gives his scorecard um, during the fights as well uh, and then someone notes, Rogan talked about this on Sunday night. I think he mentioned the issues with the NSAC. Apparently, they didn't like someone doing a fight scorecard like that. Yes, which is true. Um, and I, the commissions commissions don't like anyone that makes their judges look bad, even when their judges deserve to look bad. you think Rumble versus Jones is going to be similar to Jones versus Rampage? In my opinion, Rumble style reminds me a lot of Rampage Jackson. I think Jones will stop him in the third or fourth round. By the way, which Bellator fight this Friday are you most excited to see? Second part first. I, I am really kind of excited to see this Emmanuel Newton. Um, sorry, I got something in my This Emmanuel Newton Liam McGeary fight. Look, I know Liam McGeary is called a prospect, but he's 32, but he doesn't have a lot of miles on him. He is really explosive. Um, you know, there's a still so a lot of questions about what he can and can't do in terms of I think the grappling and, and the clinch department. Um, but at range, old boy will light you on fire. So I wanna see exactly what the limits of his game are. And I wanna see um, I wanna see I wanna see what Newton can do to push that. Uh, shout outs to the co-main event podcast because they talked about how Newton was like this guy that not only like no one expected to be, do as well as he's done but like certainly bellator either the old regime or the current one uh hadn't expected to do well um and has sort of just found a way to have success And this and, and and is a weird quirky guy and all of that working together is kind of awesome so i think newton has done more to endear himself to fans than he has ever in his career during his title run however much that may be and mcgeary is an interesting challenge mcgeary has an interesting upside if he can get past newton so that really is kind of an important fight to watch. Obviously, King Mill versus Chuck Congo is kind of fun in, in the fun way that things can be, but um, that main event at Bell Tour is kind of fun. I mean, definitely uh, an important, uh, I would argue, as well. Uh, I don't agree that Rumble and uh, it has the same style as Rampage. First of all, I think Rumble, uh, by the time Rampage fought Jones, he was noticeably slower, and his game had been much more conventional. Um, if anything, I think you, you might think that there's a narrowing of Johnson's game, but I would argue that there's not. I would argue that um, it's what I would call a efficient streamlining of it. Um, And I don't think he throws the same kind of power punches. A Rampage throws hooks. He doesn't throw a lot of overhands. Um, Johnson is partly able to close distance because I think he's more explosive than Rampage was in that fight. I think he's certainly just naturally faster. And I think that on top of that, uh, we'll see what the takedown defense. Because I think again, punching your way into the clinch is how you get him to the ground. It's how everyone is taken him to the ground. Shooting on his hips is no good. Um, but they score differently. Um, I think that. So I think I think Johnson's quicker. But I also think he like Rampage is more your uppercut hook guy. Uh, I think that Johnson is more your jab jab overhand guy. False. Uh, the title changes hands at UFC 184 and Katsangana will walk away with the title. I don't think so, but I'd love to see it, but I don't think so. So uh, The title changes hands at 185 and Dos Anjos wears the gold. Absolutely not. The title changes hands at UFC 186 and Barao gets his title back. Probably not. Two titles change hands at 187 and Johnson KOs Jones and Vitor defeats Weidman. No. False. The title changes hands at 189 and McGregor brings the pot of gold back to Ireland. I don't think so, but strange things have happened. Faber beats Frankie by decision. Don't think so. Uh, Luke Thomas and Joe Rogan face each other at metamorph Six. Joe would have his way with me, so no. I'm not going to contend anything where I knew I'd get my ass whipped. <laughs> production changes to UFC. The UFC's production values have steadily changed and increased over the years. However, I can't help but feel they're in need of a shakeup. The camera angles often cut off in the lower half of the bodies. Making it seem like the game, making it seem like a game uh, rather than a fight. Whereas in Pride, every fighter looked like a giant. I know this is due to restrictions of camera placement of the octagon versus the ring. But I still, I feel like they could do better. With Bellator now upping their production on what production changes, would you like to see the UFC? You know what I would love to see? I think, it, first of all, it's a great, great question. Now, someone says the white canvas. I have wondered about the white canvas Pride used. Let me tell you what. Listen, I love Pride. You love Pride. Here's what I have been told by production experts about that white, was that they can't understand why the Japanese used it because they believe that the white mat uh, is reflective to the point where it um, impacts the ability to show the fighters on the on the mat. Um, it just doesn't work for live TV. It's too, way too bright and too disruptive to the overall picture. I trust them. I don't know how Pride got away with it, but I trust them. So I've asked about that white mat specifically. That's what I've been told. Um, I think they have, to your point, they updated the graphic packages. Um, for example, uh, I like how they shine lights on like Strikeforce style on just the two guys for the main event when they're in the cage or the two ladies, whatever the case may be. But to your point, there's not enough, don't play around as much as I would like. I like the slow motion cam they show, punches and stuff landing after the fact, like what's called the ghost cam, things like that. But for folks who've asked about the ref cam, I would like to see that come back. Maybe the athletic commission's not a big fan of it, but I certainly am. And I think more to the point, One thing that they don't really do that I would like to see them do is they don't have a camera they can lower into the cage. They have one, like the fisheye lens at the bottom that they uh, they used from Bellator and have the guys posted around. I would like to see a camera on a hook that they can lower inside the cage and move at a certain angle. And you couldn't use it all the time. You would have to be very, very judicious and careful about it. But if guys are locked against the fence in a takedown battle, have someone lower that camera in and be able to move around. Like the the NFL has a little more leeway, obviously, but they're constantly playing with the hooks and uh, uh, line system that they have for all the cameras, you know, behind the line of scrimmage and like in the huddle and then, you know, wide panning out and then zooming in behind a running back, you know, trying to go through the A block or, or the A gap, excuse me, all kinds of weird stuff like that. You know, there's definitely room for bringing us inside the octagon, finding a way to do that. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's an obvious challenge. So um, that's one thing I would really like to see. Let's let's get cameras in that octagon. Let's figure out a way to do that. I know it's not easy. It's not always going to be possible, but we really got to try here, I do believe. Uh, future of MMA, where do you see this sport in the next five to 10 years? What will be its popularity at the time? I mean, this is a monster question. It's way too long of a question for this one. Where its popularity be at the time? I have no idea. What styles or techniques will be discovered and implemented to further fight IQ and overall engagement? I mean, you, this is literally like, you could write a white paper on this. Uh, Aldo versus McGregor. Whose fighting style gains more from the bout being contested in the UFC octagon as opposed to a boxing ring? Uh, Aldo, probably. McGregor's going to be stalking, I suspect. And it's going to be Aldo punching and, or kicking and then getting out of the way. And because he doesn't have to deal with this and can deal with that, uh, he's going to have more angles to do it. Is heavyweight in as poor of a state as it looks? Yes. Kane will beat Verdum and then what's left? Nobody wants to see him fight JDS again, so where does the division go from there? Seems to be how a lack of depth. In ball sports, y'all. I forget his name. Who was the guy at the combine who just jumped twelve feet three inches, setting a record? All right. I mean, you look at this guy; he is built like Hercules. That's those. That's where your athletes are for heavyweight. They're just not in combat sports. Not much, anyway. Um, end of Ronda's reign. Best for UFC women's MMA. Luke recently, Holly Holm said the best thing for women's MMA would be for Ronda to lose to agree with that. It's not that we need Ronda to lose as such, like losing to Sarah Kaufman in a way that would make, um, or not Sarah Kaufman, Alexis Davis, in a way that made uh, Rousey look, you know, somehow impotent in, in, in some way. I think that would have been bad for women's MMA. But, but, having Rousey be tested, having Rousey have a real rival, having someone out there or several someones out there who you believe could legitimately test her and push her to further heights of greatness or take the mantle uh, yes that would be beneficial so it's not losing as such it's could be it could be losing but it's more about is there someone out there yeah i mean I, I think right now it's like the mike tyson show like you know see what happens when we throw this poodle in this tank with two great white sharks you're like oh my god this you know, Poodle doesn't stand a chance, so it's a little bit of that, but that gets old after a little while, I feel like, or it might, anyway, Um, I think the next level is, is there somebody out there that can really give this woman a run, and if there is, wow, let's see it, you know, because, I mean, listen, in the end, uh, I thought Jones won pretty handily against Cormier, but part of what made that what it was, was, yes, the brawl, I mean, a huge part of it was the brawl, no denying it, you know, but it was also one versus two, and it was also at least the idea, however misplaced, but the interest heading into the fight was partly a function of the idea that Cormier might be able to beat this guy. You know, hey, this, this, might, be the, this might be the guy. Uh, and so you kind of need that in a Jones fight because you know he's gonna bring his A game. You need someone that's gonna make them bring their A game and then see how that matches up with the challenger's A game. And that's how everyone slowly gets elevated a little bit. Um, And can you talk about the latest BJJ Scout video that breaks down Ronda's varied moves? I will just post it here uh, because BJJ Scout can do a better job explaining himself than I can or herself, whoever it is. No better James Glory, by the way. Good question. Why is UFC 187 so stacked? Great question. First of all, let's read. I want to quickly, I want to read the fight card. The fight card is nuts. Okay, here's the fight card as such. I'm going to read from bottom to top uh, John Dotson versus Zach Makovsky. Sick fight. Uh, Islam <laughs> Makachev versus Leo Kuntz. All right, whatever. Uh, uh, although uh, I'm told that Makachev is a big prospect. Um, Joseph Benavidez versus John Moraga. Ain't hey, nothing wrong with that. Travis Brown versus Andre Olovsky. It's a good fight for both guys. Habib Nurmagomedov versus Donald Cerrone. I mean, as Jeremy Botter would say, if your pants are on for that one, I don't know what you're doing. Chris Weidman versus Vitor Belfort. And then John Jones versus Anthony Johnson. Like, they could literally just have... If that was just the card, and the rest of the card was, you know... Uh, I don't even know. Butterbean shadow boxing, I'd still pay every, every dime I could for that card. It's insane. But the question is, okay, why is it like that? Um, good point. So a couple of people have said, well, what's about Pacquiao and Mayweather? It could be. And then some other people say, well, um, how did they know when Pacquiao and Mayweather was going to get made and blah, blah, blah. This is, this is a very easy one to predict. First of all, the first May in the first excuse me, the first May weekend is a big weekend in boxing. Obviously, it's close to Cinco de Mayo, um, but historically has been a big weekend for Mayweather as well. Beyond that, there have been talks for a long time about that being the day if this fight was ever materialized. So they knew well in advance to not put a fight, even if it was, even if they didn't know about Pacquiao Mayweather, they just knew that's a big card in boxing. Mayweather's going to probably try to get on it, maybe with a rematch with Cotto. Maybe, maybe uh, Pacquiao ends up with Amir Khan, something like that. They just knew to just just avoid it, right? Um, and they probably had talks with people at the MGM or Mandalay Bay about what they were hearing and what was expected, and they just avoided it. And they were they did was the correct call. So there's, that's part of it. One, um, two. Another decent theory is: look, with the steroid issue or the PED issue, anyway, with the injury issue, um, you got to be careful out there, you know. And that's going to be after all that testing starts, I believe. So it's or no, not quite. What well, what day is it? No, this is amazing. So that's not part of it yet, but nevertheless, um, there will be some measure of out of competition testing for that, and there will be, of course, the still injury rate of incidents that we still experience that has to be overcome or at least dealt with uh, in the short run. So uh, that could be a decent theory as well, but I also think there's a little something more going on. I think they're they are treating these pay per view cards this year with a renewed purpose. Although so UFC 184. Um, was damaged for all kinds of reasons. We lost the Vitor Weidman fight, which was moved to the 187 card, um, and other fights fell out as well. But if you look at what they're attempting on pay-per-view, 182, 183, 184 now, and uh, I haven't seen what's 185. I don't think it's that great, but I don't think it's that bad. Can't keep these all straight, son. Uh, 185 is good, too. Right? Uh, two title fights on that, plus Hendricks versus Brown, plus uh, Nelson versus Overeem plus Kerry versus Henry Cejudo. Yeah, dude, that's a sick card too. Not as good as the other one, but it's pretty good. Um, so I think there's a renewed purpose about pay-per-view and it maybe is to hedge all the things that I mentioned before about injuries and PEDs and maybe it is to help compete with Pacquiao. But I also feel like, you know, to me, it's not a coincidence that it's, we're not going to get what the first, uh, fight pass card that's exclusive to fight pass until what? March. I mean, that's, that doesn't seem a little odd to you. I feel like they're definitely saying, okay, look, has pay-per-view declined for everybody? Not just UFC, but boxing and everyone else? Sure. I mean, look, uh, WWE is basically out of the pay-per-view game for all intents and purposes, right? Um, and boxing, there's you know, Mayweather and Pacquiao will set all kinds of records, but generally speaking, uh, pay-per-view is down for everybody. It's not the same kind of medium it once was. But the truth of the matter is this. And I think if anything showed that, it was January. Forget all the bad stuff that happened in January. Let's just focus on all the good stuff. The two pay-per-views, strong buy rates, the the, the great ratings on Fox Sports 1, the great ratings on Fox. When the UFC puts their best foot forward, the market responds. And pay-per-view may not be what it once was. But if you put your best foot forward on there, you get a little bit of luck with injuries and, and no one popping for, you know, whatever the case may be. There's still a lot of money to be made there still a lot of money to be made there. If you give people a great pay-per-view product, may not be what it once was, but it's still pretty damn good. I think that to me is the major takeaway from from this renewed push in 2015. Ronda versus Cyborg, if it ever happens, who wins? As I said it before, I'll say it again, depends entirely on what weight, although at this point, look, if this had happened a year or two ago, I'd say Cyborg, but the longer that Rousey has a chance to improve, I'm gonna say Rousey. Head movement. You mentioned on the Monday Morning Analyst the lack of head movement from fighters recently. Why do you think this is? Do you think MMA is so diverse that head movement is just too far down the list for fighters to train? Someone uh, takes my thunder here and says traditional Muay Thai. We're 100% correct. I think it could be because most people base the first striking as traditional Muay Thai. Slipping punches is not a big part of defense. Absolutely. There's not a ton of head movement um, in Muay Thai for all kinds of different reasons, but it just doesn't exist. And if you go to gym after gym after gym, what do you see as classes. Oh, here's Muay Thai at noon. Here's Muay Thai at 6.30. There's many, many, many benefits to Muay Thai. You know, uh, MMA has learned a lot because of Muay Thai, the leg kicking. A, a one among many other examples that you know, maybe Western kickboxing doesn't employ. Um, but there, it's still, every style has a certain amount of limitations. And so I think when Conor McGregor talks about movement and the uniqueness of movement, I don't know that he's talking about head movement necessarily, although it's probably a part of it, but it's just having a more free-flowing style and not saying I'm going to commit to these principles that only apply to this kind of competition. I'm going to do some other things that make much more sense for this kind of competition while borrowing from here what might actually work. So um, so yeah, traditional Muay Thai does not put a premium or a great emphasis on head movement, and I think that's where a huge, huge portion of guys' striking style comes from and I think that needs to change. I don't think you have to give up Muay Thai, but my God, like I mentioned on Monday Morning Analyst, for the next month, and forget just uh, UFC, check it out on Bellator too. Look at how little head movement is a premium in MMA, and look how many guys get caught as a consequence. It is an epidemic. It is an epidemic. I made a big to-do and a big stink about guys trying to take other people down against the cage, and, and whether that juice is worth the squeeze. I don't know if that's even as big a problem as head movement. It is insane. And I don't. And you'll see guys parry jabs. You see a lot of that, you know. You don't see guys slip a lot. Um, and I mentioned them before, um, if you guys didn't see it, get it online. Check out Josh Jauncey from uh, Glory. Josh Jauncey's head movement is nasty. Really good head movement. He gets caught too. You know, everyone's going to, you're going you're gonna to get hit. But um, when he gets it, he gets it right because it, all, the head movement is what? It's defensive, it's slipping, and it's defensive and throwing at the same, uh, same time. Great, great head movement. Uh, <laughs> how do you feel about this matchup with Mitch Clark in terms of the Michael Chiesa one? I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on him as a lightweight, um, as lightweight is stacked. It seems like Iaquinta is getting a bigger push, even though, in my opinion, Chiesa has been more impressive in the UFC and and would not likely beat Iaquinta again? Excuse me, and would. Likely to I Iaquinta. Again, a fight between Barboza and Chiesa would be interesting. How far do you think Chiesa is able to go in the lightweight division? I agree that he's probably, I wouldn't call him criminally underrated, but I would acknowledge that um, I don't think he gets quite the do that he's supposed to. But recall what happened in his last fight. I think that's probably where he is. Even though he had been doing pretty well, um, the Joe on loss, which happened in September, I think set him back a little bit. And so he needs to get back on the winning track. And to, and by the way, he's going to fight UFC 5963, which I have applied to go to. Um, I think M- Michael Chiesa, if nothing else, is an action fighter. And Mitch Clark, um, you know, having beat Iaquinta, however, how do you want to say it? You know, whether he could beat him 9 out of 10 times, you know, I don't know. But he did beat him. He's on a run. So it's a question of let's see how fluky the win over Iaquinta was. And let's see how fluky the loss to Joe Lazan was. And let's put two guys, let's see where they actually kind of are. Because I think there's a hunch that against the kind of pressuring offense that Kiesa gives, uh, uh, Clark might have some issues. But maybe Clark is much savvier than them. we're giving him credit. I actually kind of like the fight. Why does Roy Nelson spell heavyweight as H-W-Y? I don't know. Ask him. Okay, hey, does Silva's fight night failure for Dostan alone change the optics of the situation for you? It remains true that the only time Silva was randomly tested out of competition, he failed. But he also failed fight night tests for the first time ever over his long career. While any commentary on what he has taken in the past is straight speculation, does the fact that he would have failed regardless of the additional tests change the way you view the situation? Also, does the addition of anti-anxiety and sleep aids change the optics? I've talked about this before. Um, I think my general take is that if you want to have suspicion about the rest of his career, I think it's allowed if, in, if ultimately inconclusive, uh, but to your point, there does appear to be a particularity about this situation with the amount that was in his system and the uniqueness of things, the anti-anxiety pills, for example, that were found that make this situation maybe also unique, but maybe this is a step up from the previous things, not necessarily a complete aberration. And so once you pop, you open that door to maybe it is breathless and unfair and wild speculation. But you have a you have, you lit the match. Like where the fire goes from there is sort of um, out of your control. Uh, okay, Mayweather versus Pacquiao business plan. Luke, would you please explain the business model of Mayweather fights? Who are all the parties to the negotiation? So it would be the two networks. Um, and basically, the fighters, and then as as it relates to the promotional entities, so Golden Boy, Top Rank, Mayweather Promotions. I don't think Pacquiao has his own, so it'd be those parties, uh, and also, of course, you know uh, where the event is held. What exactly does the two hundred million dollar figure represent? Uh, so, one twenty four Mayweather, eighty for Pacquiao. These are their guaranteed monies. So, uh, the guaranteed money is what they're going to make no matter what. So, you know how an MMA guys have money to show, money to win. Um, and some guys like Melendez just have show money and it's all right there all in one go. It's like that, only instead of $120,000 for whatever it is for Melendez, it's now 120 million and 80 million. That is not the sum total of what they're gonna get. There's gonna be a pay-per-view split as well. Those details have not been made privy. It'll probably follow along the same 60-40 split, maybe even more for Mayweather's favor, I don't really know. Um, so recall that when Mayweather fought Alvarez, I attended that fight, by the way. I interviewed both those guys. Um, the the base pay for Mayweather was roughly forty. After pay per view, it was assumed he took in roughly seventy. Okay, how much that will increase uh, as it relates to Pacquiao and the pay per view buys after the fact, we don't know yet. But I would expect that Mayweather will probably get upwards of one fifty to one eighty million, and Pacquiao will certainly cross that hundred million dollar mark as well. Um, but uh, who owns the rights to the pay per view? I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure. I think both will probably own the rights to at least the footage uh, of that. Uh, but I have to double check. Who sets the price for the tickets? Well, um, this is going to be largely a casino issue. So the average ticket price, I think, is going to be something like they want to get forty million out of sixteen thousand seats at the MGM Grand. So you have to do the math. I'm told that less than a thousand tickets. I think I've read maybe I should say I'm told. I've read that less than a thousand tickets are even going to be put up for public consumption. The cheapest of which will be a thousand. I think the average ticket price, average, is going to be five thousand dollars. I mean, just do the math. How you get um, Forty million out of sixteen thousand. Again, recall Mayweather Alvarez set the record for gates in Nevada at twenty million, but that wasn't just for fights; that was for anything, uh, concerts, uh, Cirque du Soleil, whatever. Uh, in Nevada history, Mayweather Alvarez at twenty million. They want to double that. They want to double that. Okay, we are. This is when people are like non-event IMO. It's like <laughs> it's like nine eleven non-event IMO. Okay. Um, how exactly are the fighters paid? So this is different. Um, Mayweather has interesting contracts. So why is the fight taking place at MGM Grant? Well, Mayweather has a deal with MGM Grant that all of his fights are gonna take place. They're at least up for a certain amount anyway. So they couldn't have the fight anywhere else. And like when Mayweather fought Canelo, it was crazy. Like, yes, there was a lot of Canelo um, advertising all around the hotel and stuff like that. But that, you could tell that was Mayweather's building. I mean, it was, it was pretty clear um just from like the, all the signage and, and everything else um so he's probably going to get money from them mayweather like like when you go again i don't know how it's going to work for this one because a lot of these contract details have not been shared but for example like in previous mayweatherabouts if you went and bought you know a hot dog and a beer he got a cut of that he got a cut of concessions he got a cut of merchandise he got a cut of the gate he got a cut of pay-per-view like he got a cut of closed circuit um, how that's going to work this time, I don't know, but Mayweather might have the most lucrative contract in like all of sports, just in terms of how many pieces of the pie he digs his hand into. So he has a really nice contract. How much of that will be affected against Pacquiao, I don't know. By the way, um, I also read that there was a proposed or it was reported that if someone fails the drug test, they're going to use uh, USADA, by the way. Uh, if there's a failed drug test, there was a $5 million penalty. There is no penalty was an incorrect report all right uh, do you think Zingano will last more than one round against Rousey man this is like I said it on 120 sports and I really I really think it's true this fight is kind of hard to figure out because it's either going to be exactly what you think or it's going to be one of the craziest upsets ever and not because the of the odds exactly look everyone has talked about this and there's no way to deny it against Nunez against Tate uh, Ken Zingano just doesn't find herself until the middle of the second round and then really the third round. Um, Rousey comes out like a bat out out of hell, you know, like a house on fire and not in a a reckless way, but in a sustained aggression kind of way. And um, so the question is this, what do you believe? Do you believe that's a bad matchup because of that fact? Because one person just surrenders so much to the other person that you have this elite finisher who starts strong versus this person who, Finishes strong, but in much later rounds, that um, gives up positioning, that doesn't seem to be uh, mentally focused, that all kinds of problems about Katsangano early. Or do you say, well, okay, all those things are true, but you're missing the larger picture here. The larger picture is look at the survival instincts of Katsangano Yes, she's put in bad spots, but they can't get rid of her. And what happens when they don't? She comes back and barnstorms them. You know, look, here's what I would say. A worse ref would have stopped, could have, or I wouldn't say would have. A worse ref could have stopped that uh Nunez versus or Nunez versus Zingano fight. I'm not saying it should have been stopped. I don't think it should have been, but I'm saying there are some refs with some bad trigger fingers that could have done it. Uh, and that would have been like the worst stoppage I've ever seen. i definitely seen worse. Not advocating for it, I'm just saying it could have happened. Um, because she was getting beat up in that one. And in the tape fight. She just couldn't seem to get any offensive rhythm going until much later. And I just don't know how that's going to work against someone like Rousey. But you could say, look, you can put her in all kinds of peril. But if you can't finish her, she only gets stronger. Uh, I don't think it's the worst argument in the world. It's not the one I favor. But, you know, listen, listen. After 10 upsets, and everyone's like, Luke, you took a bath on your predictions. Yeah, everybody took a bath on their predictions. Some worse than others, but everyone took a bath. But the point being is if you have a card you have 10 upsets like just a week ago this sport is crazy i only do predictions because like it's a fun thing to do and even when you're wrong like i was wrong about the braboza johnson fight but i was kind of right about how it was going to look i think it's fun to like try and figure out what it might be and it's cool when you're right that sucks when you're wrong but whatever it's the game um but just the certainty that some fans have about about outcomes in the sport i've only and i mentioned this before the only fight I've ever been truly certain about was, uh, Mendez versus McKenzie, because I just thought that we're talking about two different kinds of people here. Um, again, there could have been an uppercut on that one too, you know, Daniel fever is living proof, I suppose, but you get the idea. Uh, all right. Um, let's go to the Twitter machine here because I've kind of ignored it a little bit. Maybe I shouldn't have. Uh, is Jessica Rocosi at one and four the worst fighter to appear in the UFC? Uh, maybe. Uh, what about setting a lower limit of water percentage in athletes' bodies at weigh-ins? It's easier to measure. Um, the hydration issue has to be measured not just at weigh-ins, but at um, all along uh, the, the weight-cutting process. Um, so, no, I'm not sure that's the best idea, although it's not the worst idea either. Uh, was impressed with the Tom Dukunwa fight, but I think against a high-level wrestler, he may struggle not ready for UFC yet. Not quite ready for UFC yet, but you want to talk about a kid who is light on his feet? I mentioned him in the Monday Morning Analyst. Go check him out from Bama 18, this kid. Uh, Tom Dukunwa. Woo! I mean, looks like you have to nail his feet to the ground to leave him there. Otherwise, he's going to float away. Light on his feet, man. UFC 187. Better than UFC 100 on paper. Um, oh... I don't know. Pretty, pretty close. Um, I'd say UFC 100 was a little bit bigger because you just can't imagine how much bigger Brock was than everything else. But 187 is a decent attempt. Steve Miocic versus Mark Hunt is Miocic too athletic in every aspect of MMA for Mark Hunt. I don't think athleticism athleticism is the issue here. Um, I would I would set that up to I think Mark Hunt is pretty agile for a big guy. I think that. Uh, he still has his power, his trademark power. His wrestling takedown defense is great. I just think that the persistent kind of offense he provides, plus his chin of. of uh, I mean, Miocic's offense is more conventional, but it's really consistent. And so, as a consequence, I think it's a bit of a bad matchup. Plus, he has big power, too. Uh, let's see. With Mayweather versus Pacquiao said, could we see Yod Clyde versus Buakau or Rousey versus Cyborg? Here's what I'd say. Look, there is no equivalent to May versus Pac and everyone's trying to say, well, it doesn't matter. Different business models. It all matters. Just accept that there's nothing equivalent. But it's okay. It doesn't have to be. There, there might be some day. Just not right now. But uh, I do think it's going to put pressure on promoters to like when when I, when promoters see what like that did, on the one hand, they'll be like, well, I could never do that. But I think you know the UFC might look at that and be like, man, we want a taste of that. Look at what that was like. Let's 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 see how close we can get. And right now I don't think they can get that close, but at least they can deliver bigger premium fights that will uh, be better than or you know, well let's just plug holes and then fill a pay-per-view, you know. What do you like in the Ryan Ford you should Okami about Okami? Uh, releasing footage was nears mistake. Hickson versus Anjo. How do you do it with different uh, era, more respect? Yeah, they never released the footage. You know, I wonder what people would say if they saw Hickson beating up on Anjo. Because I'm told it's a brutal beatdown. Have you can see Anjo's face afterwards; it's a disaster. Um, so there's that as well. Let's keep going here. In your opinion, does, does Nier's heckler's tenacity and brashness affect any of the perceived offense? Well, it has nothing to do with whether he went too far physically, but it certainly makes any kind of sympathetic gesture to him a little bit slower among people, whether you or me or anyone else, um, because he just seemed so intent on inviting it. You know what I mean? Like, there was, he went out of his way. Like, this heckler said things that not even Nier's professional opponents do, and they're much more skilled than the heckler. You know what I mean? There was such a, such a level of disregard for even his own safety um, and any kind of, uh, you know, any notion of, of recognition of Nier's ability that um, on the one hand, you're like, well, the guy's so clueless, he should avoid it. Maybe he should have, you know. On the other hand, it's like, I mean, you did everything possible to invite harm upon yourself. Like, why are you surprised you succeeded? Uh, Let's see. Let's go back to the questions. Roy McDonald, in past live chat, you discussed the BJJ scout breakdown of Roy's effectiveness and strategic forwarding of Tyrone Woodley's offense. Roy has stated that he doesn't watch tape of his opponents and does not formulate a game plan around them. Do you think Rory is just saying this? Is Faraz doing all this for him, or do you believe him? I know for a fact Faraz watches a ton of tape, and so I suspect that some of that bleeds into how they prepare. Uh, PEDs and grappling. Does IBJJF or ADCC test for PED? So they have started on occasion to use USADA, but it's very intermittent and in no way comprehensive. I know that for IBJJF. I don't think ADCC uses anything. Do you think they should, considering BJJ is built on the idea that technique beats strength and size? Um, the answer is yes. Obviously, you know, we want to see clean sports, but um, I don't, like the first major problem I would have at IBJJF is that these guys don't pay the athletes. Like more than anything else, that needs to change. And once we get that in place, um, we can start worrying about the different levels of architecture that you need for a comprehensive um, testing policy. But for me, there's like so many other glaring issues Plus, like, I have to say, I mean, some people are really upset about the way in which people use in grappling. Some people are totally at ease with it, much more so than in MMA. Um, seven Brazilian fighters lost in Brazil on UFC Fight Night is, is the end of the world nigh? No, but it's funny to me, like... Yes, some of the Brazilians lost, but I've never heard a crowd cheer for the guys who beat the Brazilian more than I did that Porto Alegre crowd. They seem to be like, well, you know, if you're gonna beat Maca- uh, William Patalino, I might as well do it with a Superman punch that caught us all by surprise, right? What would you say, uh, what would you say, I don't know what this person is asking. Oh, what fight would you look at these guys and say they were past their peak? Uh, Silva, for certainly, I would say the Weidman fight. GSP, I would say um, the Diaz fight. Maybe, maybe even the Shields fight. Really, BJ Penn, um, Fitch, Shogun. Uh, oof, maybe. Um, I don't know the Hendo fight. The first one, Frank Mir. Um, I don't know. Nick Diaz. I don't know about Nick Diaz either. Frank Mir. Maybe the second Lesnar fight. And then Nick Diaz, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe Daly? I don't I don't know. I don't know. No, because he's looking against Penn. So maybe the Pen fight. I'm not. I'm not sure about. It. He is a little harder to figure out because he just takes so much time off. It's not. You don't get a clear sense of who he is and where he's at. Uh, stacked UFC card this year. The UFC is stacking cards with two title fights. Blah 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 blah. Do you think that will lead to weak cards for the fight nights and other events? I certainly hope so. I think that fundamentally we have way too many fights and way too many events. It's Nearly 600 fighters on roster. Way more NBA players than there are in the NBA. Um, for a sport that's much more globalized. Yeah, I am all too happy to have there be a market correction about what kind of schedule there is. Sure, fine. Like, I don't know about you guys. Like, on the one hand, for me, part of watching fights is I don't care if the rest of the world is there. I truly don't. I'm just watching on my own. I love that. Another part of watching fights is that if they're big fights, there's nothing more fun than having a galvanizing effect around them. There's nothing more fun than like, when fights are big fights, it's fun to talk about them. It's fun to think about them. It's fun to go places that people are wondering about it. You know, there's, that's kind of awesome. That's kind of how it was in that period between the beginning of the Ultimate Fighter and the Brock Lesnar era, you know? Not all the time, of course, and you know, it's been that way a little bit since then, but um, I, I, I've, I've missed it for a while, to be perfectly honest. And I just, it's so much more fun when everyone is invested. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. Pay per view buys for one eighty four. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't really know. Um, do you anticipate the buy rate to match or even surpass what it would have done with Wyman Belfort in the card? No, it certainly won't surpass, and I don't think it would match either. Um, she's carrying it by herself. It, Rousey's popularity is weird. She is the most visible person in some ways, but it's. It doesn't 100%, although obviously it translates some, I mean, she is a successful person, but doesn't quite have the same commercial transactional effect. Um, So that one's a little hard to figure out. We need to wait and see. I mean, the, the, you know, she's in swimsuits and she's on Conan. She has such a reach that no one else has. But commercially, it's not exactly clear if that, her novelty is that, or if that novelty can then force people to open their wallets. we just haven't quite figured that out yet. There, you know, listen, her first one was great. Um, and she's, you know, had this ability to be on other cards where, um, let me look up her thing, her resume, real quick like. Her beef with Ariana Celeste is like the weirdest thing ever. Maybe I'm alone in feeling that way, but it's like, why do you all care about the other person? All right. So Car she headline. 168, she's part of someone else. 170, I believe she headlined. uh, Who else is on that 170 card? Hang on one second. Yeah, and then, yeah, Cormier ain't coming. So that card had been devastated by injuries. and did not do that well. And then 175 had Wybham Machito on it. So it's not exactly clear. It's not exactly clear just yet. We'll have to see. All right. Convince me I should actually spend sixty bucks on this card. Entirely up to you, my friend. What would be your game plan for Zingano? Be to win the fight. Oof. Jabbing, cutting angles, and clinch breaking. Dave K. Mario made a point about the way to beat Rousey is to beat her in the clinch, but I think that you have to. I don't think that's wrong. But I don't think you attempt to do it early unless you really have the skills for it. And I don't think that Zingano has the skills for it. I would I would argue that uh, the game plan is just chop her down and stay out of the way and clinch break and move. And even if you lose the round, that's fine. But as the rounds wear on a little bit, then you slowly open your offense. But I would be very defensive early. Not so defensive that you're not moving or counterattacking, but have a limited uh, idea of what to do because if you just don't have the skills to match her in, in the ways in which she's going to lock up with you, you know, you're going to, you're putting yourself behind the eight ball. The trick is to avoid positions where she has like huge advantages, huge advantages, jab, cut angles, clinch break and move, leg kick, jab, cut angles, leg kick and move. Then by the third round, begin to open up a little bit more. home, get a title shot immediately if she beat Pennington. Let's see how she looks first. How about Cyborg passing her drug test? I was really wondering about that one. Yeah, you know, listen, if she's clean, great. Uh, let's see how she looks against uh, Charmaine Tweet. I think she's going to beat the hell out of Sweet personally. But, um, yeah, good. That means, listen, she's doing at least some of the things she needs to do to give the UFC confidence to sign her. And that's important. I remember Dana White at the, the Baltimore event. I was there for the scrum was saying, like, you know, you guys are all modest about drug testing this and drug testing that. And you want us to sign Cyborg. She could be a potential nightmare for us. I didn't think that was a bad point. I thought that was a pretty fair point, actually. So now that she's doing some of these things, they at least have some idea of how to stay clean. Uh, no out-of-state testing for UFC 185. Is this a potential for disaster? And the fighters get a free pass on this one. I'm assuming the UFC is going to probably do something to randomly test them out of competition, but maybe not. Maybe they get a free pass because Texas is a show. But it's also not just about Texas. Like if this is this shows that uh, you know the UFC trying to have these additional punishments, and they can't use the commission authority to do it, but only up to a certain point or use the commission authority to test up to a certain point, and they want to go beyond that to have this elevated standard. Well, the elevated standard, they don't have the contractual ability to do it as it currently states, so now they have to usurp some of that from the fighters, and you know, it's a little problematic for me. Next for Frank Mir, rion or Rothwell? I would say either of those are probably fine. When is Coker and Bellator going to test their fighters? It's not like they can afford it. It's not like they can't afford it. At least to make them look halfway clean. Test main card fighters. I would say at least test main event fighters. Not about the whole thing. Um, so, like again, I made this argument before. It's it's not that the Viacom doesn't have money. It's that they're trying to get Bellator to operate on an independent budget to uh, be financially solvent. And and doing the same kind of testing UFC does would damage that um, certainly. So you know again, it's like not every MMA organization can be expected to test the way the UFC does. The way the reason why UFC has so much pressure is one, because they have such a hold on the industry, but two, they have the money. Like They just have the ability to do it what other organizations don't. Now, the Viacom backing would allow that, certainly. Um, but I, what I will say is this, like I've definitely liked the direction. There's no doubt about it. I love the direction Scott Cooker is taking Bellator. I think these tentpole events, as they get more and more a, a, a leading role in, in the Bellator product, will be great for the sport as they sign free agents and, and that sort of thing. Uh, and build a kind of roster that can deliver for the Spike TV audiences. But at the same time, I really have found his answers about, well, we sort of defer to athletic commissions and what they may or may not do. And some of them, the Mohegan Sun or whatever, they might do more themselves. But they, this answer of I'm deferring to commissions, I don't really think that washes anymore. And and I think some there should be more pressure on Scott Hoover to answer for that, to be, to be quite honest. I like the guy. I think he's a good promoter. I think he's a smart businessman. I like what he's doing over there. Um, but that answer about, well, you know, we follow the commissions, nah, nah, it doesn't really work anymore. We've, we, we clearly know that's not enough. There's, there's no doubt about it. Those out of competition random tests have made the argument that we defer to commissions totally untenable. Um... Interesting question. Would you rather a fighter caught on PEDs get a two-year suspension or a four? Two, I think four is just outrageous. Um, but at the same time, I this is my whole issue with the UFC about what they want to do. Look, I think they take anti-doping seriously. I think if you look at that commission or uh, presser that they had, those are some serious steps that they want to take to um, rid doping from the sport. And And I think that if they aren't able to somehow find a way to do it, Um, It'll have a strong effect towards that end, Uh, but I don't want laws being changed for the UFC's benefit that affect the entire industry. I think it is really, 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 really bad that you could potentially have a law change that says the first offense for a performance-enhancing drug, which would include diuretics, uh, will result in a two-year ban. I mean, I don't think a 19-year-old or 20-year-old kid fighting on a, uh, I don't know, a tough-enough or whatever kind of regional... MMA show in a a state who needed a diuretic to make weight, maybe made a bad decision, should be banned two years from the sport. That to me seems like a very bad idea. Um, The UFC, if they want to ban their guys two years, then they should find a way to do that. But I don't want laws changed that affect every level of the industry because the realities are the the various levels of the industry are so far apart they barely look like one another sometimes. Uh, Quickly... All right, do you think there'll be a finish in any of these fights? Pettis dos Anjos, yes. Jones versus Johnson, yes. Hendricks versus Brown, no. Aldo versus McGregor, probably not. Lawler McDonald, probably not. Dodson versus McCowski? yes. Uh, and lastly, three favorite beers. Of course, Arrogant Bastard Ale um bells to hoarded and uh this for chris pilsner and eggenberg all right so we have to get out of here uh you can email me at luke.thomas at sbnation.com i'm on facebook uh facebook.com slash luke t sports and of course on twitter at sbn luke thomas tons of coverage coming your way for invicta we're going to have people there at the open workouts uh for bellator we're going to have chuck Mindenhall there Saturday, the whole crew is in L.A., so lots of coverage coming your way for MMAfire.com Stick around, and until next time, stay frosty.